Chapter Three of the Fortunes of Glencore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carl Henning. The Fortunes of Glencore by Charles James Levere. Chapter Three. Didn't I tell you how it would be? said Billy, as he re-entered the kitchen, now crowded by the work-people, anxious for tidings of the sick man. The head is relieved, the congestive symptoms is allayed, and when the arterial excitement subsides, he'll be out of danger. Moshe, but I'm glad, muttered one. He'd be a great loss to us. True for you, Patsy. There's eight or nine of us here would miss him if he was gone. Troth, he doesn't give much employment, but we couldn't spare him croaked out a third, when the entrance of the corporal cut short further commentary, and the party gathered around the cheerful turf fire with that instinctive sense of comfort impressed by the swooping wind and rain that beat against the windows. "'It's a dreadful night outside. I wouldn't like to cross the loft in it,' said one. "'That's just what I'm thinking of this minute,' said Billy. "'I'll have to be up at the office for the bags at six o'clock.' Feck. You'll not see Linane at six o'clock tomorrow. Saw a taste of it, muttered another. There's a sea running outside now that would swamp a lifeboat. I'll not lose an elegant situation of six pounds ten a year and a pair of shoes at Christmas for want of a bit of courage, said Billy. I'd have my dismissal if I wasn't there as sure as my name is Billy Trainer. And better for you than lose your life, Billy, said one. "'And it's not alone myself I'd be thinking of,' said Billy. "'But every man in this world, high and low, has his duties. "'My duty,' added he, somewhat pretentiously, "'is to carry the king's mail, "'and if anything was to obstruct or impede or delay the correspondence, "'it's on me the blame would lie.' "'The letters wouldn't go the faster because you were drowned,' broke in the corporal. "'No, sir,' said Billy, rather staggered by the grin of approval that met this remark. No, sir, what you observe is true, but nobody reflects on the sentry that dies at his post. If you must and will go, I'll give you the yawl, said Craggs, and I'll go with you myself. Spoke like a British grenadier, cried Billy with enthusiasm. Carboneer, if the same to you, master, said the other quietly, I never served in the infantry. Tros treus vimihi, cried Billy, which is as much as to say, to storm the skies or lay siege to the moon, give me one of the line or a heavy dragoon. It's the same to me, as the poet says. And a low murmur of the company seemed to accord approval to the sentiment. I wish you'd give us a tune, Billy, said one coaxingly, or a song would be better, observed another. Feck, cried a third, tis himself could do it, and in French or Latin if you wanted it. "'The Germans was the best I ever knew for music,' broke in Craggs. "'I was brigaded with Arntschald's Hanoverians in Spain, "'and they used to sit outside the tents every evening and sing. "'By Jove, how they did sing! "'All together, like the swell of a church organ!' "'Yes, you're right,' said Billy, "'but evidently yielding an unwilling assent to this doctrine. "'The Germans has a fine national music, and they're great for harmony.' But harmony and melody is two different things. And which is best, Billy? 
asked one of the company. "'Marsha, but I pity your ignorance,' said Billy, with a degree of confusion that raised a hearty laugh at his expense. "'Well, but where's the song?' exclaimed another. "'Aye,' said Craggs, "'we are forgetting the song. Now for it, Billy, since all is going on so well above stairs, I'll draw you a gallon of ale, boys, and we'll drink to the master's speedy recovery.' It was a rare occasion when the corporal suffered himself to expand in this fashion, and great was the applause at the unexpected munificence. Billy at the same moment took out his fiddle and began that process of preparatory screwing and scraping which, no matter how distressing to the surrounders, seems to afford intense delight to performers on this instrument. In the present case, it is but fair to say, there was neither comment nor impatience. On the contrary, they seemed to accept these convulsive throes of sound as an earnest of the grand flood of melody that was coming. That Billy was occupied with other thoughts than those of tuning was, however, apparent, for his lips continued to move rapidly, and at moments he was seen to beat time with his foot, as though measuring out the rhythm of a verse. "'I have it now, ladies and gentlemen,' he said, making a low obeisance to the company." and so saying he struck up a very popular tune the same to which a reverend divine wrote his words of the night before larry was stretched and in a voice of a deep and mellow fullness managed with considerable taste sang a fig for the chansons of france whose meaning is always a riddle the music to sing or to dance as an irish tune played on the fiddle to your songs of the Rhine and the Rhone, I'm ready to cry out, I am satis. Just give us something of our own, in praise of our land of potatoes. Tolo de lo. What care I for sorrow of those who speak of their heart as a cure? How expect me to feel for the woes of him who calls love an amour? Let me have a few words about home, with music whose strains I'd remember. And I'll give you all Florence and Rome, though they have a blue sky in December. Tolo de lal. With a pretty face close to your own, I'm sore there's no raisin for sighing, nor when walking beside her alone, while the blazes be talking of dying. That's the way, though, in France and in Spain, where love is not real but acted. You must always pretend you're insane, or at least that you're partly distracted. Tolal de lal. It is very unlikely that the reader will estimate Billy's impromptu as did the company. In fact, it possessed the greatest of all claims to their admiration, for it was partly incomprehensible, and by the artful introduction of a word here and there, of which his hearers knew nothing, the poet was well aware that he was securing their heartiest approval. Nor was Billy insensible to such flatteries. The irritable genus has its soft side, and can enjoy to the uttermost its own successes. It is possible, if Billy had been in another sphere, with much higher gifts and surrounded by higher associates, that he might have accepted the homage tendered him with more graceful modesty, and seemed at least less confident of his own merits. But under no possible change of places or people could the praise have bestowed more sincere pleasure." "'You're right there, Jim Morris,' said he, turning suddenly round towards one of the company. 
you never said a truer thing than that the poetic temperament is richest to a poor man wherever i go in all weathers wet and dreary and maybe footsore with the bags full and the mountain streams a-flowing over i can just go into my own mind just the way you'd go into an inn and order whatever you wanted i don't need to be a king to sit on a throne i don't want ships nor coaches nor horses to convey me to foreign lands i can bestow kingdoms when i haven't two pence to buy tobacco and without a shoe to my foot and my hair through my hat i can be dancing with princesses and handing empresses into tea musha musha muttered the surrounders as though they were listening to a magician who in a moment of unguarded familiarity condescended to discuss his own miraculous gifts and resumed billy it isn't only what ye are to yourself and your own heart but what ye are to others that without that sacred bond between you wouldn't think of you at all i remember once on a time i was in the north of england travelling partly for pleasure and partly with a view to a small speculation in sheffield ware cheap penknives and scissors pencil cases bodkins and the like and i wandered about for weeks through what they call the lake country a very handsome place but nowise grand or sublime like what we have here in ireland more wood forest timber and better off people but nothing beyond that well one evening it was in august i came down by a narrow path to the side of a lake where there was a stone seat put up to see the view from and in front was three wooden steps of stairs going down into the water where a boat might come in it was a lovely spot and well chosen for you could count as many as five promontories running out into the lake and there was two islands all wooded to the water's edge and behind all in the distance was a great mountain with clouds on the top and it was just the season when the trees is beginning to change their color and there was shades of deep gold and dark olive and russet brown all mingling together with the green and glowing in the lake below under the setting sun and all was quiet and still as midnight and over the water the only ripple was the track of a water hen as she scudded past between the islands and if ever there was peace and tranquillity in the world it was just there well i put down my pack in the leaves for i didn't like to see or think of it and i stretched myself down at the water's edge and i fell into a fit of musing it's often and often i tried to remember the elegant fancies that came through my head and the beautiful things that i thought i saw that night out on the lake fornit me you see i was fresh and fastin i never tasted a bit the whole day and my brain maybe was all the better for somehow genius real genius thrives best on a little starvation and from musing i fell off asleep and it was the sound of voices near that first awoke me for a minute or two i believed i was dreaming the words came so softly to my ear for they were spoken in a low gentle voice and blended in with the slight splash of oars that moved through the water carefully as though not to lose a word of him that was speaking it's clean beyond me to tell you what he said and maybe if i could ye wouldn't be able to follow it for he was discoursing about night and the moon and all that various poets said about them ye'd think that he had books and was reading out of them so glibly came the verses from his lips i never listened to such a voice before so soft so sweet so musical and the words came dropping down like the clear water filtering over a rocky ledge and glittering like little spangles over moss and wild flowers it wasn't only in english but scotch ballads too 
and once or twice in Italian that he recited, till at last he gave out, in all the fullness of his liquid voice, them elegant lines out of Pope's Homer. As when the moon, refulgent lamp of night, o'er heaven's clear azure spreads her sacred light, when not a breath disturbs the deep serene, and not a cloud o'ercasts the solemn scene. Around her throne the vivid planets roll, and stars unnumbered gild the glowing pole. O'er the dark trees a yellower verdure shed, and top of silver every mountain's head. Then shine the vales, the rocks in prospect rise, a flood of glory bursts from all the skies. The conscious swains rejoicing in the sight, I the blue vault and bless the useful light. The Lord forgive me, but when he came to the last words and said, Useful light, I couldn't restrain myself, but broke out. That's mighty like a bull, anyhow, and reminds me of the old song. Good luck to the moon, she's a fine noble creature, and gives us the daylight all night in the dark. Before I knew where I was, the boat glided in to the steps, and a tall man, a little stooped in the shoulders, stood before me. Is it you? said he, with a quiet laugh, that accuses Pope of a bull. It is, says I, and what's more, there isn't a poet from Horace downwards that I won't show bulls in. There's bulls in Shakespeare and in Milton. There's bulls in the ancients. I'll point out a bull in Aristophanes. What have we here? said he, turning to the others. A poor creature, says I, like goldsmith's chest of drawers. With brains reduced a doable debt to pay, to dream by night, sell Sheffield where by day. Well, with that, he took a fit of laughing, and handing the rest out of the boat, he made me come along at his side, discoursing me about my travels, and all I seen, and all I read, till we reached an elegant little cottage on a bank right over the lake, and then he brought me in, and made me take tea with the family, and I spent the night there, and when I started the next morning there, wasn't a screed of my pack that he didn't buy penknives and whistles and nutcrackers and all, just as they said, for keepsakes. Good luck to them, and happy hearts, wherever they are, for they made mine happy that day. Aye, and for many an hour afterwards, when I just think over their kind words and pleasant faces. More than one of the company had dropped off asleep during Billy's narrative, and of the others their complacence as listeners appeared taxed to the utmost, while the corporal snored loudly like a man who had a right to indulge himself to the fullest extent. "'There's the bell again,' muttered one. "'That's from the Lord's room,' and Craggs, starting up by the instinct of his office, hastened off to his master's chamber. "'My lord says you are to remain here,' said he, as he re-entered a few minutes later. "'He is satisfied with your skill.' and I am to send off a messenger to the post to let them know he has detained you. I'm obedient, said Billy, with a low bow, and now for a brief repose. And so saying, he drew a long woolen nightcap from his pocket, and putting it over his eyes, resigned himself to sleep with the practiced air of one who needed but very little preparation to secure slumber. End of chapter 3